<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Here we go! Listening to the Emerald Flow Show on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Welcome to the 18th episode of the Emerald Flow Show. We're part of the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network, and you can follow us on Twitter at Emerald Flow Show. Uh, you can also uh, follow us on all major podcasting apps, and if you use Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review. You can also go to voicesofwrestling.com/donate and donate to the show if you are feeling generous. I'm Gerard Detroit here with Paul Vosh. Paul, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty fine. Uh, I'm on the second week of my vacation now, so I'm really kind of starting to calm down and just enjoy the summer, especially because we no longer have like 35 degrees every single day. We actually just have like mild upper 20s temperatures right now. Yes, the heat wave is over here as well, and it's very nice to do. And uh, I, I assume you've been watching a lot of wrestling then with all that time off. Oh, yeah, no, definitely. I mean, it's also I live in a big city, so I actually also have to, you know, like go and like hang out with friends and everything. The horror, the horror. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, definitely. Like aside from that, I, I do get a lot of time to just kind of sit down and like watch a lot of exciting wrestling. Some of which we're going to talk about, uh, some of which we're not going to talk about. But I think I'm definitely overall, I'm like relatively positive on wrestling at the moment. Yes, definitely. I did enjoy, I think, most of the things that we're going to talk about today, and there's a lot to talk about. So we'll start off with some um, bad news. Uh, a couple of days ago, All Japan on their website said that co referee Kohei Wada was in the hospital, or 
was in the hospital or is in the hospital, the translation was not exactly the clearest with COVID. And I don't know his status, but I mean, to me, he's the greatest referee of all time. And I'm just wishing him get well soon. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, especially at his age and him kind of generally looking a bit frail as well. Like, I, I really hope that he pulls through. Um, yeah. So just wishing him all the best. Yeah. So there's been no update since, uh, I think, about two days now. So hopefully we'll hear something soon. Yep. So got some really cool or troubling information, I guess, depending on how you interpret it. And the credit to this goes out to pwanalysis.com. It's a blog in Japanese, uh, but uh, they posted uh, uh, just a attendance comparison that if you run through Google Translate is actually pretty clear that you can understand most of it. And basically it's tracking uh, the numbers that the business uh, promotions are doing from like this, like from 2019, from January to the beginning of August. And then comparing that to what promotions are doing from January to the beginning of August of 2022. And just some really interesting notes. First of all, over that sort of time period, soccer or football, is 68% of what its attendance was in 2019. Baseball is 75, but pro wrestling is only 56%. Does that shock you that wrestling is, is has the weakest recovery? Not really. I think there's multiple factors that, go, that are responsible here. Uh, I think a major factor is the lack of tiering, because not only does that kind of hamper your enjoyment if you're watching it, like, just from home i think it's even worse when you're actually in a crowd like for like anyone that's ever been to a wrestling show like cheering is like one of the main things you want to do at a show like it just really gets you into the flow of everything and just being allowed to clap like it just isn't the same so if i'm like someone that is in japan and i'm thinking so do i want to go to the show well if i'm not allowed to cheer like i might as well just watch from home like what's really the difference at that point so I think that's definitely the first major factor. And the second major factor to me is also, well, yeah, look, so football and baseball have recovered better, but they also run the exact same amount of, like, the amount of events or the amount of, yeah, the amount of events or games, rather, that can happen, like, they're fixed, like, because they're determined by the number of teams in the league. Like, it's, it's always the same amount of, like, matches that happen every year. Whereas for wrestling, it is kind of adjustable based on the schedule that the promotion is willing to run. So I think the other factor here is as well that like some promotions sig simply have significantly scaled back the number of shows. Because I think we should mention it discounts total attendance rather than average attendance. Yes. And so like what you have here is you got New Japan, they're exactly at about 50% of what they were doing up to this point in 2019, which is sort of impressive in a lot of ways, although 2019 only had one Tokyo Dome show. Yeah, I think that that's a factor here as well, because yeah, yeah they had uh, free uh, this year. The big winner is Stardom. Their business is actually up 270 or <laughs> 207%. So Rossi Ogawa Promoter of the Year. Uh, Dragon Gate is at 55%. Noah is at 81% which I think, Paul, you had to say it's because they're running more larger venues. Yeah, I think because Noah is a, because 2019, it wasn't like the absolute nadir of Noah. 
but it was still not a great year for them. Uh, like that was just before they got bought by Cyberfight, which really stabilized them. So uh, I think really like being in a more stable financial position uh, with Cyberfight that allows them to run more larger venues really has helped them out here. And it's kind of made up for the fact that they are also running like significantly less shows uh, this year than they did in 2019. Yeah, because when you get to All Japan, they're only at 36% of the attendance that they had in 2019 up to August. But they are running like like half the number of shows, basically. Yeah, less than that. that. Yeah. yeah, some months. So that's a factor. And it's like, well, I guess it's financially it's like... Are, is it financially wise to like go into these smaller towns when you can only draw so many people at this point? And I think that's probably into the calculus of it all. Uh, DDT's at 42% of their business. And actually, although in total fans, All Japan has outdrawn them by 116 fans. But uh, I think, well, they had some disappointing numbers like at uh, Yokohama Budokan. And I think yep. the Kashida leaving hasn't helped either. No, like DDT kind of like, I mean, we're going to talk about obviously Peter Pan, which which was a fun show, but I think overall DDT feels like a little bit cold at the moment. I think that's kind of reflected in this because for DDT, yes, they might also run less shows, but DDT was never a touring promotion. DDT mm-hmm. was always a Tokyo promotion. Yes. So I think for them, like not really being able to travel or traveling less isn't really as much of a factor as maybe just Tokyo in general being a bit burned out right now. Definitely. And then finally on the list, we have Tokyo Joshi Pro Wrestling, which is up 110%, mm-hmm. which I think can be attributed to the fact that so far this year, up to August, they've run or they've run about seven Cork and Hall shows, whereas in 2019, they only ran three. Isn't that what you found, Paul? Yeah, uh, it, I, found, I would say that's Or three all year, I should say. Yeah. What I'm actually curious about is, because I'm curious about that for Noah and the rest of the CyberFight promotions, is... How did they count the attendance for the Cyberfight Festival? That oh, and, and Wrestle Kingdom Night Three. Wrestle Kingdom for Noah, exactly. Like those are the two for Noah that I'm looking at. How did they how did that get attributed to Noah? And then I think for Tokyo Joshi and DDT additionally is like how did they count the Cyberfight? Because that could definitely like make a difference as well. But they Absolutely. have also like significantly stepped up the Corrigan. Like they've they've run like free in the entirety of twenty nineteen. Whereas they've already won Kurgan seven times this year. Yeah. So I think, so, I mean, it's a very, they're very interesting numbers, but I guess those sort of caveats about frequency of shows and venues sort of apply when looking at those numbers. But, you know, I think it's not particularly surprising in some ways that what, you know, you got around 50% of the business for Dragon Gate Noah. And then I think everyone's clear that Stardom has made some big strides. Although I was somewhat surprised about Tokyo Joshi, but I guess it sort of makes sense when you think about it. Now, obviously, if numbers stay like this when cheering is back, then I think that's a point when I think we need to start to get worried. Definitely. And so we move on to All Japan Pro Wrestling. They had the semifinals and finals of the Royal Road Tournament on August 20th at Korakuten Hall that drew 820 fans. Not great, but not as bad as I thought it might be, I guess. I don't know. I mean, it's definitely up from what they've drawn for the rest of the tour, I guess. So, yeah. it's. I mean, it definitely feels like... I mean, 
we have seen just a noticeable like overall decline in attendance since they made that title switch to Savama. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, obviously this was like, he didn't really have like a major match on the show, but I think that still kind of has hurt them overall because if, for example, just compare this to the number that they drew for the, uh, for the champion carnival final, like they drew a significantly better number there. Yep. So yeah, I don't know. That's, not a great number like not a terrible number but it definitely doesn't really make me like very positive on what they're going to draw at Budokan later oh in like basically at this point in a month exact pretty much exactly right yeah more or less i am yeah we'll talk about that later but i'm not looking uh, i'm not particularly bullish on that yeah so the show started off with uh, hakaru sato dan tamara and rocky kawamura 2 subbing in for takawa mori because he had to be moved elsewhere defeating black mensure sushi and andy Wu in seven minutes and 45 seconds when tamara pinned sushi with a death valley bomb um it was just a comedy opener basically but it was fine for what it was and dan got the win which is always nice to see and if you're into rocky kawamura to shtick well then this match was for you it's still one of the most bizarre things i've ever seen when i first saw him come out in the rocky gimmick i was like i mean does he eventually get to rocky kawamura 2 and what really is the difference between rocky kawamura 2 and rocky kawamura 3 because obviously rocky kawamura 1 was like it was just him from like first blood right and then obviously yes. now he's in the rocky 2 no, he was Rambo Kawamura. Oh, Rambo. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, so he was he was Rambo. He was like from like First Blood, like Rambo from First Blood One, and now he's Rocky Two. Yeah, it's... yeah. Sorry, I think I'm getting the gimmicks confused now. Oh, whatever. <laughs> no, but didn't he like do some angle and hard hit where he died or something or retired? Probably. And then he came no, he back definitely did retire. Too. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know, but he's a weird guy. So. Yeah. No, definitely. And then so in the first Royal Road semifinal, Jake Lee defeated Takao Mori in 5 minutes and 46 seconds with the D4C. Sadly, I thought they should have just put Omori through to the finals, honestly. Um, this was actually kind of awesome while it lasted. Because, like, Omori went in there, worked really hard for, like, six minutes almost, and then, like, went after Jake's leg, and Jake just sort of powered up and finished him off. But it, I don't know. I thought Omori looked really good here. Yeah, I agree. They definitely should have put Amori through. Like, that would have been way more exciting than just, like, having yet another Kento-Jake Lee match, especially so soon after they said, this is the final Kento versus Jake match, which obviously was never true. But, like, the fact that it literally, like, gets undone, like, a little more than a month later, <laughs> it's a bit silly. Yes. Um, yeah. I mean, but otherwise, yeah, as I said, like, it was a really fun, like, quick sprint and, yeah. Omori looked looked really really good here, and he was very clearly very motivated, being put into this position on short notice, and that actually made me let me to believe even more that he was going to win, and then Drake just got the win. Well, I got a little a nervous because he was like dominating the match for a bit. Yeah, I was like really, is he just going to squash Jake? <laughs> yeah, <No way. laughs> that would have no. been awesome. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't think they would do that, but like. That just would have been such a fun... Well, he could have basically gone with the excuse that, like, Jake prepared for Noya Nomura, and then all of a sudden he had to face Takoya Nomura. Then all of a sudden he had to face Omori, and he wasn't prepared for him, so he just got squashed. That actually would have been, like, a believable story. Yeah, I guess we should say that Noya Nomura got COVID, or at least had a fever, and so they pulled him from the show. No, he did actually test positive for COVID. Oh, he did test positive, okay. So they pulled him from the show, unfortunately. Uh, But, I mean, it could have been... Worse, I suppose, to screw up the tournament than uh, 
than that, which is unfortunate because we probably got robbed from some great matches. In the next semifinal, Kento Miyahara defeated Yuji Nagata in 10 minutes and 48 seconds with an inside cradle. Paul, I thought this match was actually pretty damn good up until the finish when they blew a Hurricane Rana from Kento because Nagata just can't roll over like that now, and they blew the cradle. Also, looked really sloppy as hell. Yeah. And it just totally deflated the match. But I thought up until the end, it was like Nagata's best performance in the tournament, and Kento was selling for him and everything. So it was just sort of crushing that way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I agree, but like the finish just made me really sad. Yeah. Like, it, it was just so clear that they had this finish planned, and I don't think that was something they came up with on the fly. No. So it was very clear that Nagata was like, yeah, 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 I can do it, I can do it. And it was just so obvious that, like, the mind was willing, but the body was not. Yeah. Like, Nagata just, like, he was just that half step off every single time during the entire finishing sequence. Like, I don't think it was even just the Hurricane Rana or the Cradle. Like, there were, like, other times as well where, like, during the finishing sequence, where I just felt that Nagata was just, like, a half tap step to slow like every single time on everything they wanted to do there and it just yeah it, it was just kind of sad to see i mean it was a good performance otherwise but yeah it's very clear that time has finally caught up with yuji nagata and it's probably best if he's like kept to more like undercut stuff rather than like big singles matches at this point as sad as that is yeah but because I... it happens to everyone eventually yep He's 54 now, I think. So, yeah. you know, he's getting up there. Um, yeah, because I looked up on Cage Match, and he had a match against Tomohiro Ishii in July 2021 that's rated oh, yeah. 8.3. Oh, that was so, awesome. Yeah, I remember yeah. that match. That, that, so, that match ruled. Yeah. So this is a sort of – I guess a year makes a big difference when you get up to that age. Yeah. No, I mean, I mean it's, maybe we – talk about that for some other people maybe in the Noah tournament later as well where <laughs> I think that might be happening to them as well but yeah no it's very clear that like it took just one year and now he's just kind of toast basically like I don't think he's awful no 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 he, he definitely isn't but I think one valuable skill for people for wrestlers at that age is like know your limitations and I think yes Yuji Nagata, for the first time in his career, actually has to do that now, and depends if his pride is willing to like take that hit, basically. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, because like Nakanishi was doing like dives over the rope <laughs> way far too long into his career. Yeah. Do you remember those? Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, with Nakanishi, even at the very end, it was like he was like awful most of the time, but they would like one time a year where he would just go nuts basically yeah. and Nagata basically has to be like okay do I just want to adapt and just have like a more careful style or like know what my limitations are or do I just want to kind of be bad for most of the year but then have that one performance where I just pull out all of the stops yeah so it'll be interesting to see how he adapts going forward Next up, Yoshitatsu, Tajiri, and Cyrus defeated Shuji Ishikawa, Ren Ayabe, and Ryo Inoue in 8 minutes and 58 seconds with a reverse splash or Vader bomb from Cyrus on Inoue. Uh, I wrote in my review on voiceofwrestling.com, this was shockingly good <laughs> for what it was, right? You know, once again, Cyrus sort of plays his role perfectly, I thought. Yep. 
That was also a really good way to give him his heat back after losing to Kento. Uh, yep. I mean, it's really all you can say. Like, Cyrus looked good again, and it's very clear that the promotion is doing a lot of work to put him over. Next up, the Voodoo Murders team of Taru, Kono, and Toshizo defeated, and they finally have a name, Paul. Gungnir of Anarchy? <laughs> Is that how you pronounce that? I'm not in my, nor- uh, in my Norse. Yeah, Gungnir. Gungnir. I, would, yeah. I, well, I don't think you pronounce the second N. I mean, my old Norse isn't very good. but <laughs> uh, yes, uh, So Gungnir. Gun, gun, it's Gungnir. 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 Is, uh, I mean, I can what? I can sell you the I can send you the IPA, but I don't know if you can read IPA. <laughs> uh, that's Odin's spear or something, right? Yes, it is. Okay. Um, it's it's a very typical Japanese. Let's take something from like old European mythology and then add a random word to it as well to make it sound even cooler. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that team was Shitaro Shino, Ryuki Honda, Yusuke Kodama, and Sego Tachibana. And yeah, and Voodoo Murders beat them in 11 minutes and 18 seconds when Suwama pinned Tachibana. But, you know, GOA, as you could also call them, they look sort of cool out there with all their shades on and everything. What do you, you, you call the abbreviation GOA or what do you call them Goa? Oh, you call them Goa, yeah. I would, I would call them Goa, yeah, but maybe that's just funny to me because it's also stayed in India. <laughs> yes. Um, so... Yeah, I thought they looked good. I guess they're going to get a push, right? Because they got merch. So Well, do they? Because they lost the first match after they got a name. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But whatever. We'll see. Um, next up, had Yuma Aoyagi, Atsuki Aoyagi, and Hokuto Omori defeating Takuya Nomura, Rising Hayato, and Oji Shiba in 12 minutes and 26 seconds when Yuma made Shiba tap out to the end game. This was really good again. Like, you know, how are you going to go wrong with these six guys? Yeah, you know, this was probably my favorite match on the show, to be honest. Really? Okay. Yeah, I, I wasn't really a big fan of the main event, so that probably played a, fact, played a factor. Mm. But I think, like, all Japan right now is really on this, like, on this. Well, the best thing probably right now in all Japan is, like, in a similar way to Noah, is, like, these kind of, like, semi main six man tag matches, because they always deliver. Because at this point, they've built kind of, like, a little bit more of a roster where they can actually pull that off, where they just have like six good workers in there for these matches, and that's why they always deliver. Yes, I agree. And much like Noah, the question is: Are any of these guys doing all of this going to get pushed eventually? Yeah, I mean, to be, I mean, to be fair, I mean, if you just look at it, who is the oldest person in this match? Actually, like I'm trying to look over. Like, how who old is Takuya Nomura? Because it probably is Takuya Nomura, which would be insane. Like. To think that Takuya Nomura is the oldest person like any match, really. Yeah. Takuya Nomura is 28. Yes, yeah, so I think yeah. he's the oldest one. Yeah. He would be, yeah. So the fact that like the oldest man in a semi-main event of the tournament final show of your second... No, it's even not the first biggest tournament. But still, like that like this semi-main event is like the oldest person in there is 28 years old. I think can only be a positive sign that they are actually willing to push younger guys. Like, it, like I know I'm kind of down on the Budokan shows, but it also, in a way, feels like we just need to, like, get, get past, past it, it and yeah. then the actual youth movement will start, hopefully. Ideally. Uh, well, we shall see. Because yeah. they might panic if they see that Budokan number. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, well, they, they have the old guys on top. Like, blame them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. In the uh, Royal Road Tournament Finals, Kanto Miyahara defeated Jake Lee in 22 minutes and 4 seconds with the shutdown German suplex hold. Uh, I actually quite like this match, although I will say the first, you know, 15 or so minutes was wrestled in your standard Kento versus Jake style, which is very good, but we've all seen it before a billion times. I did think, though, the last few minutes that they sort of turned up the viciousness on each other to a higher degree than they usually do, and I thought that sort of helped it at least stand out a little more. Certainly not the best Jake versus Kento match ever, and I think their match in June was better than this, but I thought under the circumstances, they did pretty well. To me, this was one of the weaker matches. It wasn't a bad match, but it was definitely a hurt for me by the fact that the outcome was never in any doubt. Right? Like, did you yeah. have? Did you ever think that Jake had like any chance no. of winning this match? Zero. Yeah. So, like, to me, I was just sitting there and basically be like, "Can we just kind of get this over with and just get to the?" Uh, get to the Kendra Miyahara uh, kind of victory celebration afterwards and also the fact that they had to go back to it as well so quickly hurt it for me as well so I was just like I recognized that the work technically that was in front of me was good but I just couldn't get invested to it in, a, in like any way of shape or form like, so that's sort of how I felt about Kento versus Suji at um that Champions Night show. Yeah. It's like, I've seen it before and the work is technically good, but you know, this is not doing it for me or anything like that. And nor did I ever think that like Kento was going to lose or anything like that. No. I mean, to and be fair, I... I mean, that can still work because obviously we're going to have that at Budokan again, but I don't think I'm going to have that same issue with that match. Let's put it right. that way. Um, then after the match, you know, Kento got on the mic and Suwama came out and now Kento's starting to do his own little dance to mock Nagata too. <laughs> Which again, further points to the fact that he's probably turning heel. You think so? Yeah. Okay. We'll see. I mean, are they going to run that? Like, are they going to run like Nagata versus Kent? Like, because why would he still mock him after him winning a tournament? If they're not running that back as a triple. Well, I don't match. think I don't know if it was him specifically mocking Nagata in that context, but him doing that little dance started after, like on the Shinkiba or yeah, I think it was the hmm? Shinkiba show where he came out and like after Nagata beat Ashino, and they you know had a mic duel and then they had a dance off, and he just has continued to do that, so I don't know. Yeah, it is very weird that he's building to another match while he still has, like, you know, the biggest match. What? I, that's probably the biggest. Is it the biggest match of his career? I mean, it is the 50th anniversary in Budokan. I guess. Yeah. But it all, already feels like a bit of an after. You could argue the biggest match of his career was the first Suwama match in exactly. Hall. That's what I'm thinking. That's, like, the only other one that I could think of. Six years ago. <laughs> But again, that match didn't even happen because Sumama got injured. No, but they had it later at Sumama. Oh, yeah, no, but I'm thinking about the original one that they built oh, when right, Sumama right. tore his yes. uh, Achilles. Yeah. So we got some more announcement of matches 
for the Budokan, and let's go over them. So already announced we had the 50th anniversary special six-man tag, Masanobu Fuchi, Atsushi Onida, Shiro Koshinaka versus Great Kojika, Yoshiaki Yatsu, and Masao Inoue. We've got Yoshitaka. going to be able to uh, yep, uh, referee, referee that, that match. Um, then Yoshitatsu, Tajiri, Mitsuya Nagai, and of course, the money mark himself, ATM <laughs> versus Izanagi, Black Mansuri, Sushi, and Andy Wu. How could how could he not be on this show? No, he, he has to. He's probably financing a good portion of the show. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then what I think will be really cool is Rising Hayato and Ryo Inoue versus Yusuke Kodama and Oji Shiba. That should be a really good match. Yeah, that should be really fun. 10 kind minutes of, at least. Yeah, that should be a really fun junior tag match. I assume Hayato is getting the win on that one. Yeah. And we have Yuma Anzai's opponent in his debut match. It's Yuji Nagata. I mean, now, that's the perfect like, that's the perfect spot to put Nagata in. Yes, definitely. And I think that's a huge vote of confidence in Anzai. Yes, absolutely. Like that's definitely like I think yeah, you wrote that that that's the debut match that tells you like oh we have plans for this guy. Yes. And finally, the ma- and another match that everyone has been waiting for for months, <laughs> Suji Ishikawa, Kohei Sato, and Renayabi versus the returning Saito brothers, Jun and Rei, and they team with Cyrus. But Paul, the Saito's are already back in Japan, I believe. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's a little suspicious that they've iced them for a month? Yeah, and to me it's also suspicious that they didn't put them in the Asia, all-Asia tag title match, which I think when they went away on excursion, everyone expected them to return in the All Asia Tag Title match, and we were still predicting that not that long ago because it just felt like such a logical thing. Because mm-hmm. you have to do something with these guys immediately. They are thirty-six still, like thirty-six, thirty-seven, right? Yeah, thirty-six. Yeah, or so turning thirty-six later. Yeah, this year. you can't really wait with them. You need to do something yeah. with them now. So them really just kind of being in this random six-man tag where, like, are they even going to get the pin here? Or is, like, because I, cause I'm looking at this lineup and to me, Cyrus is getting the pin here. Yeah, probably pinning Ayabe. Is it possible the setters are coming back as monster heels? Could be. I mean, that would be something more interesting for them to do. Do you think they will be carrying out the heel Kento on, like, some whatever you call those things that oh. like you know roman emperors were on oh yeah oh they could just carry him on their shoulders yeah the way uh the way bad luck Farley did with yes. uh, prince david so that would be really cool but do you make that like do you give kento free monsters do you give him the Cytos and cyrus that almost I guess seems like a bit that. too much <laughs> yeah uh the mihara monster army yeah, that act, that act, to be fair, that is actually kind of a cool idea. And I think the look of Kento just being surrounded by these gigantic guys actually would be kind of cool. So I hope that that's what this leads to. But I think <laughs> there's also a chance that they just don't have any hope in the Saitos. Like, I think that's also a realistic possibility here. I mean, I haven't seen anything from them in a couple of months, but I thought they looked perfectly acceptable in the first couple of matches as soon as they got to the states mm-hmm. that I saw them in but those were only six or seven minute matches yeah and I mean it's but, always kind of hard to like judge Japanese wrestlers based on the excursion 
Yeah. Because the people that actually had like good excursions are very few. It's like free people. Um, it could also just be a fact of just saving them for the Budokan. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think we can learn a lot of what they think of the site just from this match alone. Yeah, we'll see. Um, yeah, I guess you can't say one way or another that, oh, no, they're hiding them or anything like that for definitively yet. It's just interesting that they came back a month before. Uh, special singles match, Hokuto Omori versus Minoru Suzuki. I don't know what to think of this. I mean, I think it would be good, but it's going to be like, I would assume if they're going to do this that Omori gets in a good amount of offense in here at least. He doesn't get squashed. I mean, I don't like that Omori is going to lose because he's very clearly going to lose. But I do think this really cements that he's moving up to heavyweight. Yes. To me. like So that's why I don't really mind it, that he is going to lose. It's not ideal to like job out one of your like up-and-coming stars on your biggest show to like an outsider but at the same time it is kind of his initiation into the heavyweight ranks and the way japan yeah. generally does that is like you need to eat shit for a while before you get pushed as a heavyweight if you've been a junior before i mean i think it's fine if he loses and he gets a couple of near falls and looks competitive against suzuki yeah i think that's I the really... ideal case yeah and then the other special singles match yuma aoyagi versus the fallen angel christopher daniels uh, is Yuma losing this? Is Yuma moving though to junior heavyweight? <laughs> no, yeah, no, definitely not. But that would be really stupid. But we said the same thing for the condom match, and then he just lost that one as well. Yeah, but this just makes it it's even worse. Yeah, maybe you can get Connor to come back to put Yuma over, but that's going to be a little harder than that than getting the win back from Daniels. I mean, to me in this case, like. I don't know why Christopher Daniels... Exactly. Like, the only he, way I can see Yuma losing is if AEW doesn't want him to lose. But, like, it's not like he's even, like, on TV, right? Well, let me put it this way. If you actually... Okay, the vast majority of AEW wrestlers, and I'm not talking about when they appear on, like, New Japan Strong, they win their matches on the indies. But the absolutely lowest-ranked ones that are not being pushed hmm? will lose on the indies. Okay. So you would have to assume that Daniels might fall into that low, not pushed category. Yeah, because I'm just looking over his like last results. So he lost on strong. He lost against TMDK in a tag match. He lost on Defy. So like he, if he lose when well, he was not well, he didn't get pinned, I assume. But uh, then otherwise, let's see what are like his other like. He beat something. Wait, which Robert Anthony is this? Okay, I don't know what this is. Uh, so he lost. He beat Robert Anthony on something called Local Locoholics. Well, that's on AEW. He lost to Jay Lethal. And otherwise. I mean, he is not really working. Like, he's really only working like. Defy, New Japan Strong, and AEW. Mm -hmm. Like he isn't really working anything outside of those. Like really regularly. I just think Yuma losing here is monumental. It would be absolutely that. stupid. Yeah. Like and you if, give if, if AEW tells you that 
their guy can't lose, then you don't book the match. Or you book him against someone else. Or you book Brock Anderson. Yeah. Or you book, like, a tag match or something. Yeah. Um, like, you can give Daniels the win on the Cork and Hall show the next day yeah. against, like, someone, like, Yoshitatsu or something. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. No, I really uh, hope they don't do the stupid thing here and drop out Yuma Eoyagi on the biggest show. And this ties into the excellent uh, question asked by uh, Therese last week and, I, and the answer I gave. Is Daniel scouting Yuma here? Maybe, but to me, it's still not really a sign that they have really like a proper relationship with AEW. If they do, then maybe that's what they're trying to do here. But until then, we haven't really seen AEW do it all that much, where they like go to Japan and like scout someone. And you can't really give them credit for like scouting Takeshita. No. And then really, who else have they really... Like, because in terms of, like, male wrestlers that they've brought in from Japan, like, it's not a lot. Like, and it's not a lot that aren't, like, new Japan guys, basically. Yeah. Like, because I'm struggling to think who that even would be, like, outside of, like, DDT or New Japan. Or, like, even male wrestlers, male Japanese wrestlers that they have brought in. So it definitely would be kind of outside of their, like, normal pattern for them to do that. But he could go back and be like, hey, Tony, this Yuma guy, he's incredible. Yeah, I, I mean, Tony is a wrestling nut, but I don't think Tony is watching, like, 2022 no. All Japan. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, Daniels could say, like, hey, this guy is great or something. Give him a look. So. Hopefully not. Yeah. <laughs> and then for the PWF World Junior Heavyweight Championship Tiger Mask defends, as we were all expecting, thank God, Atsuki Aoyagi. Oh, he defends, sorry. I understood that you said he defeats. I'm like, what? No, defense. I'm sorry. Yes. What did yeah, you just no. say? <laughs> <laughs> thank God he defeats Atsuki Aoyagi. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I'm kind of just curious what he can get at a Tiger Mask, really. I mean, really, all Tiger Mask has to do is just kind of like be there while Atsuki bumps around him. Mm -hmm. So as long as he doesn't get in the way, I think the match will be pretty serviceable overall. So I think that's really the main thing. Like I think it's gonna be a carry drop by Atsuki Oyagi just based on like the matches that Tiger Mask has had so far. Um, yeah, hopefully Tiger Mask is a responsible veteran and puts over the young talent properly yeah and i think you'll lose yeah. but there's the mudo way and then there's like the yuji nagato way yeah. or you know something like that yeah or even um like didn't win but like on the great show today watch kento miyahara versus uh, tetsuya izuchi and like kento obviously won but he gave izuchi a ton of offense and sold for him and everything like that's that's what you're supposed to do to the young, for the young guys. Yeah, or like Satoshi Kojima did with Jack Morris, where yep. he beat him and then he put him over after the match and he put him over during the match, after the match, and then on Twitter. Yeah, exactly, right? That's like how that's true professionalism. Yeah. So, but and I mean, there is definitely the, the fear that Tiger Mask just eats him up and then Atsuki bends him on like a roll up or something. So I hope yeah. it's not that. I hope it's Atsuki just kind of, he gets to like, 
bump for Tiger Mask, but he also gets to show off his flying and everything and then beats him definitively at the end. Yep. Then the main event. Suwama defends against Kento Miyahara. Again. I mean, if there's any match they should bill as like the last Triple Crown match ever between two wrestlers, it's this one. I yes, never want to they, see this match they, again after they absolutely ever. Need to. <laughs> um, I don't have much to say except, I mean, look, these guys have chemistry. They ha- still have good matches. But the only thing, my biggest issue is that like how much cheating is going to be in this. I mean, it, like we talked about this before. They have pulled significantly yeah. back significantly on that for Voodoo Murderers. They even did matches. pull back on that six-man tag mm-hmm. on Corkin. Like, that didn't have that much cheating, and it actually had a finish. And look, it is the 50th anniversary of a promotion yeah. that in no way, shape, or form should have made it here. Yeah. Like, there's multiple times where this promotion should have died by for all intents and purposes. Uh, so they can't ruin that by having, like, a weird cheating match like it just kind of needs to be like for the most part just a straight up Suwama versus Kento Miyahara singles match and then Kento beats him in like 25 minutes definitively puts him away forever literally like suplexes Suwama out of the main event and then we just go from there Paul does Kento do a tiger driver in this match and does Suwama do like a running neck breaker drop I mean, in theory, you should fill this with, like, all kinds of callbacks to, like, all Japan grades. I mean, in that case, does Kento win with a burning hammer? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I could see Kento winning with a different move, too, in this. I no, 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 that. I do think he's beating him with the shutdown. Like, I don't yeah. really see this happening, ending in, like, any other way. But I, I could see... I mean, maybe not in this match, but I could definitely maybe see, like, other matches having some, like, callback spots to, like, other people in the history of the promotion. Yeah. And just some other notes I made after seeing these uh, card. There's no World or All-Asia tag title matches. Now, Omori says he is... Omori challenged Ashino and Honda. He says he's going to bring a partner that is fitting to challenge for the World Tag Team titles. Is that Junakiyama? he's talking about it is the most likely one to me like because it is he's a tag team partner from uh omari's past he is definitely someone that is fit to challenge for the title and it's the 50th anniversary of all japan so junaki ama to me is the most logical choice and really the only other person that would make sense to me is manabu soya yep uh, Soya's hair is not long enough to be challenging for the world tag team titles as Get Wild, though, right now. No. I will say that. No. But, I mean, that also He's... wasn't the case when they had that run in the real world. Oh, that's tag right. League. The reunion. Yeah, exactly. 2017, 2018, what is it? Yeah. Um, because, like, the other, what are because the chances... all of the other, like, Omori tag team partners are, like, retired or, like, literally yeah. paralyzed. Yeah. Uh, Manabu Nakanishi can come out of retirement. Uh, yeah. Takiyama, unfortunately, cannot. Cannot. Um, Paul, what are the chances it's Tenzon? <laughs> I, I think I brought that up as well, where it's like, well, Tenzon hasn't done anything since, like, July. <laughs> it could be Tenzon as well, which <laughs> definitely, in terms of reputation, would be someone that is could challenge for He's a tag team, team specialist, both with Chung yeah, and Kojima. Yeah, 
but that would also be very deflating, right? Because it's not like, like what's really Tenzan's connection to like all Japan? Well, you know, Tenzan had a number of really great matches against Kawada in all Japan. True, but it's not like I'm thinking. Oh, he's thinking a real of, world tag team winner. Yeah, but still, like that would definitely yeah, be but, like it's like if I have to rank them, Akiyama's the clear number one, Soya's yes. the number two, and then Tenzan would be number three. Yeah, for sure. No, it's just funny though, because uh, it's like, well, who's a guy that they could get off the bench oh, in yeah, Japan and yeah. just stick in there? No, that that to me was like the first obvious one. Was like if they want to put someone else on there that can draw, it would be. Ten- but like for example, you would announce Tenzan, right? Presumably, yes. But then again, you would announce Akiyama as well, I guess, if you want to sell tickets. I would assume the Akiyama announcement is coming soon. True, yeah. So, yeah, we'll see. Like, we'll see when the announcement comes, who it is. But to me, Akiyama, like, if I have to put, like, numbers on them, I would probably put it, like, Akiyama 85%, Tenzan, like, 10 and then 5% Manabu Soya. Oh, you think Soya is the least likely? He's least, yeah. like, I would like to see him more, but I think he's also the least likely one because he's the, like, the least drawing person, basically. That's true. And, Paul, who do you think is conspicuous by their, or, sorry, before I get to that, all Asia tag titles. On September 10th in Great, Toshizo and Minoru Tanaka are defending against um, Soma Watanabe and Yu Yuzuka. I assume uh, Voodoo Murders retained. However, Minoru Tanaka did beat Yu Izuka on today's great show, so I don't know, but it's great, and they'll just job people out all the time. So maybe you can't read into what that means. So I'm assuming that Voodoo Murders will retain, and I'm assuming that'll be Hikaru Sato and Dan Tamara because they don't do not have matches yet. We'll be challenging them. That just makes the most sense because it also would be weird that you have these two people from an outside promotion win the titles and then lose them right away again on the Budokan. I mean, right. it is the All-Asia title, so who cares, but still. Right, but I think my feeling isn't really, I, they need to do this or they're so stupid. Like, you just beat Voodoo Murders all at once and disband them. Yeah. You just kick them out of the promotion again and just have that be over. Like, they basically need to, like, like... There's, I would assume that there's going to be some sort of angle on the Korokan after Budokan. For sure. And, um, oh, yeah, this is what I was going to get to. Paul, who's conspicuous by their absence on this show? Mm-hmm. Oh, Koji Doi. <laughs> well, he's, oh, Kuma, Rashi, and Koji Doi are returning yep. on September 19th at Korokan Hall, finally. Uh, because probably other wrestlers are about to be cycled out that are currently in the company, which I think sort of and adds to my uh, theory that Voodoo Murders is uh, not long for this world. Yes, it seems like but they I, freed up some budget again to book those two guys. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they got Real World Tag League coming up. Um, Noya Nomura. Yeah. I mean, I guess maybe they also... Yeah, the thing for me is as well... I hope he's still going to get booked in a promotion. Like, we don't know if maybe this whole Royal Road tournament was just going to be it. Well, yeah, but do you really put him over Yuma and I assume Jake? And then have just him have him leave. Kanto, <laughs> and then have him leave? That would be very weird, yeah. But there's also, like, no one really, like, on the card that he can face. 
I have the the only sort of semi regular left that they haven't booked is I have here is Sego Tachibana. Yeah, but like that's I mean I like Sego Tachibana, no. but yeah, no, but it doesn't no. mean anything. No, exactly. Like who cares? So really, like I don't know really know if there's a spot for him. Like here's the thing: you also need to necessarily need to book him on the Budokan. Like for me, it's probably more important that he maybe like turns up on the Korokan afterwards. That means that he's still like a part of the promotion going to forward. To shoot an angle, sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So that to me, sense. that is maybe more important than like just like just forcing him onto the show in a random match. And uh, I'll just take one quick victory lap before we move on to All Japan. I successfully predicted every Royal Road tournament match except for Omori beating Honda. And, of course, I did not see the, the Nomura COVID coming, but I did still get the winner. So that's probably one of the best tournament predictions I've ever done, <laughs> to, all things considered, yeah. i got to say. Uh, but it was pretty obvious, I thought. No, yeah, the moment, the moment Taro beat. Uh, the moment Taro beat Kento, oh god! Uh, the moment Kento beat Taro, it became really obvious how this was yeah. gonna go. Well, I mean, some people were still absolutely convinced um, that Nagata versus Suwama was a Budokan main event, yeah, but no. uh, after that point, it was definitely people that were not paying that close attention and just heard that there was a New Japan guy in All Japan and assumed that was what was yeah. gonna happen. Let's just say, dear listeners, if Nagata had won this tournament, you would have heard a very different intro to the show. Yes, 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 exactly. Uh, so, any more thoughts on uh, All Japan? I'm a little down on the Budokan. Like, I think I'm going to enjoy the show overall. Yeah. But I'm not super excited about the card as it is right now. But I think probably, like, when I actually watch it, I'm probably still going to enjoy it a lot. Yeah, I think the show will be good. I'm just not... <laughs> They're... 2,500 people, like, might be what they get here. Yeah. That's, um, let's see. At this point, just to save face and get 3,000 to be on par with Noah would be, I think, the absolute best-case scenario at this point. Yeah, yeah. If, if you can at least get close to what Noah did, I think, then you're doing fine. But that's not a really great number for, like, your 50th anniversary. No, it's not. So we move on to... Uh, pro Wrestling Noah to night four of the N1 Victory Tour in Sendai Sun Plaza with 505 fans. Um, I don't know. Didn't someone really draw like a, much better than that in Sendai recently? So I don't know how good that number is. I'd have to look at uh, what some other Sendai shows are doing. Uh, but whatever. Yeah. Let me just take um, a quick look at that one. Uh, Sendai, Sendai Sun Plaza. I think Dragon Gate. Oh, no, no, it was, oh, no, it was New Japan. So New Japan drew 936, and the only other, and Noah's the only other promotion. But it is actually down from what they drew in January for Bumper Crop. Because uh, mm. for Bumper Crop, they drew 633. So it is significantly down from that. Interesting. And that okay. one had the uh, Nakajima versus Kitamiya title match. Yep. Oh, that, okay, yeah, yeah. Um... So for the first match of the show in the block B, Jack Morris defeated Kenya Okada in 11 minutes and 6 seconds with the Tiger Driver. I thought it was good, but not great. I actually kind of expected a little more from this match, but it was perfectly fine. Yeah, but in a way, it's actually a good sign that we expected more from a 
Jack Morris versus Kenny Okada match that we got. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah. So, but decent match overall. Not really a lot to sink a teeth, and though, and yeah, I'm don't think really we're gonna remember this match and like because I'm already struggling to really remember anything about this match. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I still remember like the 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 good stuff sticks out still, but yeah. uh, but there's a lot like I mean like there's a lot of perfectly good wrestling that just doesn't stick with you a no. long time in this tournament. Um, next in block A, Hio de Wag- Dr. Wagner Jr. defeated Misaki Mochizuki in 13 minutes and 18 seconds with like a hurricane run a cutback. It was fine again like another like you know three and a quarter three and a half maybe at best match. I just had in my notes though poor Mochizuki. Because at this point, he still hadn't had a victory. He's really getting dropped out here so far in this tournament. Yeah. This was actually one where I kind of expected him to get a win. But it really seems like they're building kind of a storyline with him just getting dropped out mercilessly. Like, I think maybe this might also be where maybe he's like cutting back on his nowadays after this. Just based mm-hmm. how they're like just beating him like a drum. While he is a champion in Dragon Gate. Like, I feel like I need to reiterate that. He's a Triangle Gate He's a Triangle champion, Gate yeah. champion in Dragon Gate, and he is, hasn't won a single match so far. Okay. So I feel, I feel up... like they're just like he's just going to want to be in Dragon Gate more to, like, team with his son. So I think uh, Noah yeah, is just... probably makes the most sense. Yeah, right? so, now that his son's yeah. debuted, he sort of... That be, takes up all of his time and attention. Yeah, so it just makes sense that he's just putting over as many people as he can on his way out. And in Block B action, we had Satoshi Kojima defeating Masa Kitamiya in 12 minutes and 36 seconds with the Western Lariat. This is pretty good, I thought. You know, like hard-hitting action. And Kitamiya, I think, has been really good all tournament. And then, like, you know, Kojima just finishes him off with the Western Lariat. Yeah, I think this has been Kitamiya's best tournament ever so far. Because to me, he's been up and down every single time he's been in the Global League or in the N1. But he has consistently delivered in every single match so far. And he's been really awesome. And Kojima as well has also had a great tournament. I mean, talking about a guy that is older, that is definitely has not fallen off yet. Like Kojima is like very clearly showing that he can still go. Yeah. No, Kojima has been great and Kitami has been great. And then we move on to uh, Kazuki Fujita defeated in A block, uh, defeated Hideki Suzuki in 19 minutes and five seconds with the Dujame sleeper hold. Um, you know what? I, I have in my notes, it's not for everyone, <laughs> but I thought I thought overall, it was a slow at the beginning, but I thought it's still pretty good by the end, you know? I wouldn't go rush out and, like, say, drop everything and watch this or anything like that, but I enjoyed it for the most yeah. part. No, I, I saw a lot of people basically be like, that's, that's the, like the most boring match they've ever seen, and I definitely don't think it was that. Like, it definitely was slow in the beginning, uh, but both of these guys can go on the mat and they definitely showed that here and they definitely managed to kind of make the finish exciting and I think it helped as well that Suzuki is very clearly one of the people that Fujita respects so Fujita didn't eat him up like if this was just 19 minutes of Fujita eating up Suzuki then I agree that would have been really boring but it wasn't that like it was much more of a back and forth match on the mat as well so I think that really helped it as well and as you said the finish was actually pretty good and not really, again, not a tremendous match. Nothing that will make my like match of the year list at the end, but it was perfectly serviceable. Um, and then next up, block B action. Katsuhiko Nakajima defeated Takashi Sugiura in 16 minutes and 35 seconds with the vertical spike. 
Sugera, you know, Legend Noah has had sort of a uh, a ho hum, low profile tournament, but I thought this was probably his best match so far. I thought this was really good, and they sort of were really laying into each other, and sort of like Nakajima sort of basically almost like doing like a deadlift vertical spike at the end, sort of added to the feel of a struggle. Yeah, this was still Segura's best match, but I still think it wasn't that good because Segura to me is the other guy after Nagata where I'm like, okay, I think this might finally be the year where his age catches up with him. Because just yeah, for this whole tournament, yeah. I'm like, mm, he's been up and down. I thought this was Segura's best match, but I can see where you're coming from given some of his performances earlier on, right? Now he's at the point where it's like, unless he actually does turn it up, He's gonna look a little, you know. Yeah, I mean to be fair, slower. compared to him, him versus Nagata, because for Nagata it's very clear like yeah. his body can't hold up anymore. I think for Segura it might be a bit more of a motivational issue right now. Yeah, because it seems yeah, like some really of those matches he just is kind of sleepwalking through them almost. Well, I mean, you would have thought he would have worked a little harder in that Kojima match, but uh, yeah, he didn't at all. Like it, it, it's very so. weird. Uh, yeah. But yeah, this was definitely one of his better matches. But I'm also giving Nakajima a lot of credit here too. Of course, yeah. And in the main event in A Block, Keno defeated Go Shiozaki in 20 minutes with the PFS. This is great. Like, you know, these two just laying into each other. I will say though, do you think it makes Go look geeky because he they use the sleeper to set up for the PFS? I know how I feel about that. No, I think I think that's fine, because again, like in a way, of, in a way, it can actually help enhance it as well. Where you had to like choke him out to actually get him to stay down, basically. Mm-hmm. So I think that can help. That kind of, in a way, can help the match. Like, I wasn't quite as high as you probably on this match. I thought this was really, really good, but like, I don't think this was like a great match. Definitely one of the better ones in the tournament so far. Yeah. Uh, but no, I don't really mind to finish. Okay. And then, so we move on to uh, August 19th at the uh, Corken Hall. That's 584 fans. That's about in the range that they've been drawing there as of late. Yeah. We've already, we've already analyzed Noah Corken numbers to death. So it's just, they are what they are at this point. So I mean, maybe, maybe end- just one thing, because I think it's a point we've talked about before but just reiterating it from what we talked about earlier with overall attendance numbers like because those numbers are what they are right now they should just allow people to cheer because you're not selling more yes. tickets than this anyway just allow no, people to no. cheer and jack up the prices a little bit and then you can actually make a little bit more money because you're not yeah. bringing in more fans right like very clearly right probably... now regardless of what you do you're not bringing in more people and i would assume if you you can probably get like seven 800 maybe allowed to cheer yeah so you could in theory like, actually like sell more tickets yeah yeah with the cheering yeah. because it's, i mean that's one factor i mean there's other factors like the pandemic of course but clearly cheering is a factor in all of this yeah. so in a block we had kazuyuki fujita defeating anthony green in four minutes and 59 seconds with a power bomb certainly a match that no one expected to see when <laughs> on january 1st 2022 uh you know, I'll give it credit. Like, I thought Green worked hard here. And, it was, and you know, a nice little match. Obviously, like, Fujita dominated and everything. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it was perfectly fine. I mean, this was exactly what I expected it to be. With Yeah, they said Fujita just dominating the match. Um, 
yeah, I mean, I guess green sold really well for him, but this was exactly what I expected it to be. Yeah. Next up, Block B. Katsuhiko Nakajima defeated Jack Morse in 13 minutes and 41 seconds with a tag. It's listed as a Tiger Driver cutback cradle, but it was sort of like a Hurricane Rana. This rule. <laughs> awesome. This was so good. Yeah. Would you say that Jack Morse is sublime every time? He's been so far. Yeah, he's been sublime every single time. So he has a hit rate of 100%, which is impressive. Yeah. Just great. Like, you know. I will, my only critique of Jack Morris is sometimes his facial expressions are a bit much. But again, this is literally like his, what, this is yeah. his fifth match in Japan ever? <laughs> yeah, but that's all I got, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. If, that, if that's your complaint, uh, like, that's a, very, uh, that's a very, yeah, it is his fifth match, yeah, because it's six and four, yeah. Uh, so, no, that, that's just, a, like, he's very clearly someone that's watched a lot of Noah tapes before coming to Noah. Yeah, definitely. Just given how naturally he's fitting in. And I think Nakajima was awesome in this as well. I think Nakajima figured out really quick that like he's like a guy that I can like do my shit with. Because I think sometimes I think with Nakajima, he has a bit of a hesitancy when he wrestles foreigners, where he isn't quite sure if he can lay it in as much as he can with like the Japanese people. Mm-hmm. Whereas here, like he just immediately just was like, oh, I'm just going to kick this guy's head in. <laughs> And I think that really helped. Like the the speed was awesome. Like to me, this was, to me so far, this was the best match of the entire tournament. Like I actually went for. Oh really? Okay. I don't, I don't know if I'd go that far, but it's up there yeah, for sure. Like to me, this was this was the best match of the tournament. This was really fucking awesome. I love this match. Yeah, uh, they need to sign Jack Morris. Yeah, I think. Yeah. You know, keep him away from NXT Europe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think actually <laughs> for now you you have a little bit of a. a time frame where you can sign him because i i have a feeling at nxt europe we're not really going to see all that much happening with that anytime soon and again if jack morris is smart he's not signing with that do what all of the other smart jap or what all of the other smart british wrestlers do and just stay in japan exactly and then after that we had in a block misaki mochizuki defeated masato tanaka in 13 minutes and 43 seconds so mochizuki with a high kick and mochizuki finally gets on the board with two points uh this is pretty good and like as you can expect from these two like back and forth hard hitting action uh i also think mochizuki and tanaka all things considered have been um like i'm not going to say that they're either of them are mvp but they have been solid contributors to this tournament. I mean, I will say to me, well, actually, no, Mochizuki might no longer be my MVP of the tournament so far, but I thought he's definitely one of the best ones in the tournament so far. Tanaka, I think I've talked about before, I've had my issues with him kind of so far in this tournament, but this was really, really good. This was, to me, this was Masato Tanaka's best match in the entire tournament. Just both men just going at each other really hard. Just really nice like hard-hitting action throughout the entire match and i think what helped as well is that this really played to tanaka's strengths where it was just a brawling match basically which is what tanaka's best at so and yeah uh well to be fair what i will say is it was tanaka's best match up until this point because it was actually a match that he had later that was even better than this one yes yes i agree um so yeah and then uh, after that, we had uh, Takashi Sugera defeated 
in block B, uh, he defeated Masa Kitamiya in uh, 10 minutes and 26 seconds with the front lock, or sorry, front neck lock. I thought uh, this was pretty good. Uh, it was hard hitting. It was only 10 minutes. So I thought Segura obviously looked a little more motivated here. I sort of, and I also love the finish because uh, Kitamiya had Segura in the prison lock, but then like Segura managed to like turn that into a, the front neck lock and got the referee stoppage. Yeah, I really love the finish of this. The rest of the match to me was just okay, but I thought the finish was absolutely awesome because it was also a direct callback to when uh, Kitamiya won the tag titles because uh, he, uh, in that match, he, like same as here, he had uh, Segura in the prison lock and uh, kind of Segura was like moving up to like elbow him and uh, when he won the tag titles, he just headbutted Segura in the head and just knocked him out while oh, like, yes. blood was running yes, down his face in one of the best kind of visuals that I've seen in like quite a while in wrestling. And it kind of like directly called back to this one where uh, where Kitamiya was rearing up for the headbutt again, but Segura caught him and put him in the uh, in the neck lock to for the victory. So I thought that was really awesome. Like that finish was really elevated this match on to be like a really good match because the rest of the match was just okay, but like with that finish, like it turned to be into a really good match instead. Next up in block A, Keno went to a draw, thirty minute draw with Hideki Suzuki. Um I think overall, I mean I, I know that this isn't gonna be for everyone, but I thought that they started off real strong, sort of try to tease you in with like Kind of getting like the PFS on Suzuki in like what the first two minutes or something, mm -hmm. and then Suzuki you know uses his ring awareness and rolls out of the ring, um, but then it turned into a sort of thing where Suzuki dominated this match quite a bit actually, uh, but the last few minutes are really great though because both guys are scrambling um, to sort of try to put each other away but couldn't. So I would say I would definitely say this was one of the I'd probably put it in the top 10 of the best matches of the tournament, but I can see it not being for everyone. Um, and you can sort of critique maybe the way that Suzuki sort of dominated most of this match. No, I think this match was really good as well. Uh, yeah, Suzuki dominated for the most part, but I think really the important part here is while it was a time limit draw, it the time limit draw happened when Keno uh, had Suzuki in the sleeper hold. Like, it wasn't a case that, like, oh, these two were still, like, equal. It's, like, you really got the feeling that if this just went, like, 10, 12, like, 30 seconds longer, Kenner would have won. Because right. he, mm -hmm. like, either Suzuki would have tapped or Suzuki would have just passed out and Kenner would have gotten the win. So I'm fine with Suzuki dominating the early part of the match if the, end, the thing you're going to remember about at the end of the match is that Keno just like ran out of time in the end, but he would have won if this had just been like a slightly longer match. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then in the main event in B block, Kaito Kiyomiya defeated Masakatsu Funaki in 13 minutes and 49 seconds with a modified Shining Wizard. It was okay. And then it was just a weird finish where like Kaido spammed a couple of Shining Wizards and then did a Shining Wizard to the back of the head and sort of won, and I don't think anyone was expecting that to be the finish. Yeah. Uh, wasn't a super big fan of this match. Was, as you said, it was just kind of okay. 
also wasn't yeah. really a big fan of the shining wizard spam and also kind of felt at times that like funaki was like no no do it again <laughs> like that just like to me that's just a bad look like i'm generally not someone that harps on like kaito being made look like a geek but he kind of was like a little bit in the finish of this match like I'm, once again not being put over properly yeah, by the old guys yeah. mm. it definitely like it's like a most yeah and as I said, like it was like him just spamming the shining where that was a little bit much as well. Like if he just yeah. uses it, that's fine. But if he's just like literally like overusing it, like Moto was like five years ago, because it's the only thing he could do anymore. Like Kaito doesn't need to do that. He's fucking twenty-four years old or twenty-six or whatever he is. <laughs> twenty-six. Yeah, he's twenty-six yeah. years old. Like can do like all kinds of cool shit. Like he doesn't need to do the move that the guy could only ever do because he doesn't have knees anymore. Like if yeah, if he has to take so. a if he has to take a got a motor move then I don't know like do the moonsault or whatever. <laughs> or, although then again maybe don't do the moonsault given what happened. Don't do the to... moonsault. Don't do the yeah, moonsault. Yeah. It's not worth maybe it. don't. But I mean you can still use the shining rhythms, but you don't need to spam it. Right? Yeah. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and, and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards, and yeah, you can open it, and look, it's going to be junk. You're, you, you know what I mean? Like You know what you're probably going to get in those. Maybe you find that fun, and sometimes I do. Sometimes I like just opening up cards and saying, oh, hey, look at some random cards or whatever. But if you're really in this game to, to find value and find particular cards, it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs, and it ends up being, you know, almost nothing. You know, nothing of value. Not with Arena Club. You can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading, so you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off again that's arena club.com slash vow net arena club.com slash vow net for 10 percent off your first purchase on arena club and we thank them for sponsoring the voices of wrestling podcast network
<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. So we move on to uh, night six, and that was on August 20th at Cork and Hall in front of 609 fans. So a bit of an improvement. In Block B action, we had Kaito Kiyomiya defeating Kenya Okada in 9 minutes and 59 seconds with a reverse cradle. Uh, I thought this was pretty good. Uh, interesting story here, though, where they had, like, Okada seemingly dominate all of the match, and then Okada just... Oh, sorry. Kiyomiya got the win by sort of rolling him up at the end. Yeah, I think that was also Kaito call as well to actually give Okada a lot. Because yep. Kaito is kind, of tra- is kind of one of the trainers as well, right? Well, I think he's at least uh, helping. Yes, I- yeah, he's helping. It's Ogawa. And... Yeah, so I think he like helped train Okada to some degree as well. Uh, and I think he kind of did something similar as well when he had like the match with Kai Fujimura before he went away on excursion. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I thought Kaito was just really willing to like give Okada the chance to show off because he hasn't really gotten that throughout the entire tournament and probably isn't going to get that opportunity for the rest mm-hmm. of the tournament. So I thought it was really good by Kaito. Um, and then still getting the win in the end. Uh, so yeah, I think overall, I think hope like like we said, like I think this stuff like this really helps the promotion get a bit more behind Kenya Okada and actually give him more stuff to do because he definitely showed that he can hang even if he's on offense. Yeah, and I thought the finish sort of invoked the way that Okada got in the tournament with the roll up. Yeah, just kind of like in and reverse in this case. Yeah. Yep. So next up. Uh, we had uh, technically a master and student <laughs> match. Uh, Hideki Suzuki defeated Anthony Green in nine minutes. And uh, I saw like Green on Twitter and everything was playing this up. He's like, oh, he's my trainer in the performance center <laughs> and everything like that. Um, what do I have here in my notes? Uh, I thought, you know, this is pretty good. I mean, it was pretty straightforward, simple. I thought Green looked good, of course, but uh, Hideki got the win in the end. And then afterwards, like Hideki goes over to him and has a bunch of words for her them and they shake hands and everything like that. Yeah, not really much that much more to say about this match. Uh, it definitely felt like Hideki is like has a bit more respect for Green as well because he probably has worked with him in WWE. Yeah, because you wouldn't think like Anthony Green is a guy that Hideki Suzuki has much respect for. No, yeah, because I I really thought this was going to be more like the Fujita match, but it it was like he did give Green like a little bit at least. Yeah. And then next up in block B, Takashi Sugera defeated Jack Morris in 16 minutes and 33 seconds with an avalanche-style Olympic slam. Uh, definitely in the better uh, Sugera matches in this tournament so far, and a great finish, of course, with an avalanche-style Olympic slam. Paul, you know what I have written in my notes here about this match? It came to me in a revelation as I was watching this. Jack Morris is what Adam Cole actually thinks <laughs> that he is. Would you agree with that? I guess so. Because they do have kind of similar looks. But Morris is obviously like bigger and more jacked than Adam Cole ever was. And just more athletic, right? And he's more athletic. Yeah, he can actually do the stuff that 
Adam Cole thinks he can do but can't quite pull off smoothly, let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. No, I, I can definitely see where you're coming from, yeah. I mean, now I, I mean, for that comparison to maybe work even more, now I need to see Jack Morris in kind of a plunder match. <laughs> because Cole is always really good at those. So if he's really good at like plunder matches, then yes, he absolutely is just better Adam Cole. <laughs> but what do you think of the match overall? Um, yeah, I think the match overall was solid. It was definitely one of the better Segura performances. Um, I think Jack Morris also sold really well for Segura here as well. I think that maybe is like really good, like part of his game as well is that he's like a really good seller. I think that really helps him fit in as well. And Segura looked a little bit more motivated here. So yeah, I think it was a good match overall. And then we go to, um, yeah, uh, Block A with Go Shiozaki defeating Hio de Dr. Wagner Jr. in 15 minutes, 15 seconds with a strong, uh, strong arm lariat. Pretty good. I mean, all things considered, I think Wagner is really uh, carrying himself well for the most part. Not like super high end or anything, mm-hmm. but a perfectly competent like mid Carter. Yeah, but I have to say, like his matches also have a tendency to be a bit forgettable because I'm actually right. really because I'm trying to recall stuff I remember from this match, and there isn't really a yeah, whole lot. Too. Like I do but remember it's not the bad finish. Either. I'm like good match. Yeah, you know? yeah, I do remember the finish, but really like really struggling to think of anything else that really happened in this match or that I found notable from it. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I mean, I think Wagner's got a spot there for a while in the company if he wants it. No, definitely. Like, he's definitely not, like, sticking out like a sore thumb. Like, he definitely fits, but he's also not someone that I would ever, like, push in any meaningful way. Right. Yeah, tag titles, this is a good Yeah, spot, exactly. Right? Like, a, like, the occasional tag title run is fine, but then yeah. anything... Like, I wouldn't even really, like, maybe I would give him, like, one national title match at some point. I would give him, I'd be, he could be a national title challenger, I think. Yeah, no, yeah, that's what I mean. Like, I wouldn't give him the title. Like, I would him give, I would give him a match for the belt, but that's about it. And then in block B action, Satoshi Kojima defeated Masakatsu Funaki, all of a sudden doing all of these jobs in 10 minutes (laughs) and 11 seconds with the Western Lariat. I guess it wasn't bad. I mean, I, I wasn't quite sure what to expect. Like, is Funaki going to work against Kojima? But they've obviously worked together before back uh, like over a decade ago in all Japan. And, you know, I thought it was the last, like, it was f- perfectly acceptable, not bad for the most part. Though the last few minutes were pretty good. And then, like, Kojima getting the win. Um, yep. Uh, maybe, okay, and this is a really weird nitpicky part i didn't like that they did two lariat finishes back to back <laughs> okay yes i see what you mean uh like I, but these are two masters of the lariat paul they are they are but still like both of them have other finishes as well like it i know it's incredibly nitpicky and it doesn't matter but i just it, it really bothered me that it was two lariat finishes <laughs> back to back but the match itself was fine like it, it definitely was one of Funaki's better matches in the tournament. I will say that much. Uh, still not as bad as All Japan doing all of these roll-ups in the Champion Carnival, if you ask me. <laughs> oh God, let's never talk about that tournament ever again. Nearly broke me. <laughs> oh no, wait, sorry, that was this year. Yeah, uh, yeah, but they, but like what I'm, what I was thinking about is the Champion Carnival in twenty uh, twenty. Oh no, no, that's the worst Champion. Well. <laughs> Because there were a lot of roll-ups in that match in that tournament as well. 
Oh, yeah, because it was so small because everyone had to do jobs. Yeah, and every match was eight minutes. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Every match was eight minutes and it ended in a roll-up and it nearly broke me. And in a main event, Masato Tanaka in A block defeated Kazuyuki Fujita in 20 minutes and 56 seconds with the sliding D. Paul, this was, the to me, the best match that these two have had against each other out of all of their yes. matches. Because uh, it didn't, well, they had that 30-minute draw, right? Which was uh, too long. But obviously, 20 minutes is a long time for a Fujita match. And even a Tanaka match if he's not in there against the right opponent. But somehow they, they delivered. Uh, yeah. I have in my notes, Tanaka's doing a lot of mat work in this tournament. Yeah. Um, Which, like, that's one of my reasons why I think he's a bit hit or miss. Because he's doing a bit too much like mat work. But in this case, like in this match, it actually worked. Yeah, I, I, I it was nothing special, but it wasn't bad either. But then they started just throwing bombs at each other, and then it was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I have, in all caps, Choke Slam. <laughs> that Choke Slam for Fujita was awesome. And then this last few yeah. minutes were awesome. And then, you know, Tanaka finishes Fujita off after several sliding Ds, really, uh, to sort of, like, wear the monster down. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, this was great. If you're not... Like when they start just started throwing a headbutt that you thought oh, was Oh, yes, that that's right, yes. Uh, if you're not a Fujita fan, you should still check this out because it's like exactly yeah. what Masato Tadaka versus Kazuyuki Fujita should be. Yes, yes. No, this this was really this was really awesome. This was also one of the best matches in a yeah, tournament I agree, for me. For sure. Just like like I I was really happy. I was really positively surprised by this match. In part, like I don't want to call it a spot fest, but it's like a quasi spot fest. It's because it's just like sick I moves see where you're coming other, from with it yeah know. but it, it rocked like i'm not I like yeah no. spot fest guy or anything like that no yeah like it was just like dudes being dudes just yeah. going out there and just beating the shit out of each other yeah like in the best way possible there's no real psychology because people no. would have both died of like hematoma or whatever if they tried this no it's also, also both of that's also not really both of those guys are strength yeah, as well absolutely not like they're not really like I don't think anyone will disagree if I say that Kazuyuki Fujita is not exactly the most cerebral wrestler. No. Unless you count headbutting people as cere cerebral. So, no. But this was exactly like it was just dumb. Like, yeah, it was kind of like it had like this element of like dumb jock wrestling. You oh, know, for that, sure. Absolutely. The, the VOW term, it's like just like too dumb. Like that's basically what Masato Tanaka and Fujita are. Like they're just two dumb jocks just going out there and just like beating the shit out of each other and like doing stuff that they shouldn't do they shouldn't have done like 20 years ago and they definitely shouldn't do now but they're gonna do it anyway because fuck you yeah yeah no this was awesome this this was really awesome like this was definitely i think easy top five of the tournament so far and For i think sure. it might make my top three so far so yeah. and then so uh the tournament uh doesn't pick up again until uh august 27th and we're sort of in the home stretch there's what three shows left uh two shows there's only one more block night? There is... Or two more... Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, three shows with the final. Yeah, sorry. There's yeah. two more block nights, yes. Yeah. So we have the 27th in Nagoya and the 28th in Kawasaki. And then on the 3rd in Osaka at Edeon Arena number yes. one. Yes, Yeah. So the block A standings are Keno with seven, Hideki Suzuki seven, Masato Tanaka six, Go Shiozaki six, Kazuyuki Fujita six, Hiro the Dr. Wagner Jr. four, Anthony Green two, Misaki Mochizuki two. 
Block B, Satoshi Kojima 8, Takashi Sugera 8, Katsuhiko Nakajima 6, Kaito Kiyomiya 6, Masakatsu Funaki 4, Masakitamiya 4, Jack Morris 4, and Kenya Okada still with the goose egg of zero. Um, are you still confident in your predictions, Paul? Yes-ish. <laughs> I do still think Goshiyazaki is winning. Yep. But just the way this tournament has been going and like what matches are left, I think there's also a chance Fujita is winning as well. Yep. Because I'm just not sure because Fujita at this point he has uh he has Mochizuki and Keno left. Yep. So he obviously has to lose to at least one of them. Like if Go wins out, then it doesn't really I think like, Mochizuki it... could pin beat if Mochizuki so beats um, Fujita and then Fujita yeah. beats Keno, that would uh, that should allow Shiozaki to sneak in there. Yeah, but then Suzuki also needs to lose in there somewhere. Like he needs to lose to like Doctor Wagner, I guess. Well, if Fujita put over Wagner, Suzuki can. Yeah, because Go Shiozaki versus Hideki Suzuki is on the final night. Yeah. And then I feel like, because, for example, like, Keno also needs to, like, because Keno feels Fujita is on the final night as well, and I expect Fujita to win that one yeah. to set up a title match, like, later in the year. And I guess that he could lose to Green. Sure. Yeah, and then the math kind of works out where then Go Shiozaki goes through in the end. Now, over in B Block, I originally predicted they're going to do Go versus Kojima again, but I think Kaido's now, mm-hmm. it just has a feel Kaido's going to the finals. To me. Yeah. I mean, they're definitely doing this kind of comeback story with Kaito. I, I do still feel really confident in saying that, like, the block is definitely coming down to Kojima versus Kaito. Yes. I think that yes. just seems very obvious. Um, yeah. I, I would still say they're going to do Kojima versus Go. Because I just... Because to me, if Kaito is making the finals, he kind of has to win. Yeah. And... I mean, I guess you can run Kano versus Kaito in Ariaki. I think especially should, if that has cheering. I think you should run it in Budokan, but anyway, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like that, That's what I'm thinking as well. That's why I'm not... Like, if Kaito makes a final, then like, they have to do that match there, whereas I think they should do it in Budokan. Like, they should save it a little bit more. Uh, because you can just have Go versus Kano in Ariaki and then do Fujita versus Kano somewhere else, and then I don't know, maybe one more title defense or not, and then just do Budokan, do Kaito versus Keno at the Budokan in, in January. Yeah. Who does Nakajima have on the final night? Uh, Nak- oh, he has Kenya. Huh. Because I was thinking, like, Nakajima, I don't think you can discount him getting to the finals at least, doing Go Nakajima mm-hmm. again. Um, but it just feels like, do you think Kenya gets that upset? And I. If Kaito is still in the mix, uh, if Kaito, if Nakajima is still in the mix, I do yeah. expect Ken, uh, Kenya to get the upset there, yeah, mm-hmm. to eliminate him so that he get, gets at least something, and then that way you can get like Nakajima out. But then again, I mean, we talked about it before. Like Nakajima is on this insane streak of like Noah tournament finals. Yeah, like he's been in there and like across both global leagues and and once he's been in the final for five years straight for five oh, tournaments yeah. straight. So. Which is nuts. Yeah. So I 
could definitely see them. But putting, maybe... but putting him against Okada on the final night is pretty anticlimactic if he's going to the finals. Yeah. And I mean, then again, because this was originally supposed to be Timothy Thatcher, obviously. Oh, that's right. Yes. So I don't know if he would have lost against Thatcher. That's very possible. I mean, he could have lost to Thatcher, but then again, he could have also beaten Thatcher to set up a tag title match. So I don't, I don't know. I mean, gun to my head, I'm saying the finals are still Go versus Kojima. But I think Go versus Nakajima is also an option. As well as Fujita making the finals and maybe even potentially winning the entire tournament. But gun to my head, I'm saying it's still, I'm sticking with my prediction of Go versus Kojima in the finals and Go is winning. Okay. And just a couple other quick notes. He said October 30th show at Ariaki Coliseum or Ariaki Arena. I don't know what it's called now, the new one. Uh, it will have cheering and a Muto match. And Is it a Muto or a Muta match? Muto. I double-checked last night. It's a Muto match. Okay. Uh, the September 3rd show is a Muta match, and then there's another match somewhere that's the final Muta. And then September 25th in Nagoya also has a Muto match. Yeah. Which is sort of uh, Muto's goodbye to Nagoya. So how many of the, like, what was it? Six matches? Well, was five. Up to already? Five. Well, yeah, no, was, so... was the original announced? So he had the match of, so had the match of Kaito. Are we counting the match in Dragon Gate? Yes. Okay, so that's two. So that's three with the Ariaki, four with the Nagoya, and then we already have two. So I guess we're not September counting the Muta 3rd. matches because there's already oh. two announced Muta matches, yeah. which technically already brings us over six. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, we'll see how many Muto farewell matches there actually are. And for our... Well, I mean, I, like I said, I'm still not believing that he's actually retiring at the end of all of this. <laughs> like, he's going to have a retirement match, but... It's, it's, we actually... So, uh, I will like, have but, to like, say We talked about... about it before the show. The first Itsushi Onita retirement match happened in 1985, and he had a match at the beginning of this month. Yeah, but... So that's all you need to know about Japanese retirements. But I will give this, as much as we can all rag on Muto for many legitimate reasons, he must wrestle in a lot of fucking pain. Yeah. And uh, he still refused. Like, but he has for years yeah. at this point. Because he, and, and in January or whenever, I think it was when he like went out with the injury, he said like, I'm not going to listen to the doctors. I'm going to like retire <laughs> when I'm ready to retire or something. Yeah. So, yeah, that's his mindset. I mean, it, that could also be a thing where it's like, yeah, okay, I'm not going to listen to the doctors, but someone showed him the money that he could make on a retirement tour. Yeah. And he's like, oh, really? Well, oh, I guess I'm retiring. <laughs> and for our last topic today, we go to DDT with their Wrestle Peter Pan 2022 on August 20th at Oda City General Gymnasium. 1,250 fans which is a no vacancy because they had this set up to allow cheering and there were streamers. So that certainly helped the show. But Paul, what were your overall thoughts on the show? Uh, I actually was a little bit disappointed, I'm not going to lie. Because I had kind of like, once it was like, oh, the show is going to have cheering. I was like, okay, this is going to be awesome. Um, but I think just overall, I think DDT just feels a little bit cold at the moment 
And to me, that kind of carried over to the show as well. Yeah. So I was like, I thought it was an okay show when it should have really been a great show to like get DDT back on track. And I think there definitely were like a couple of matches on the show that like significantly underdelivered, but with one significant exception, obviously. Yeah. But I think the rest of the show, there was definitely stuff on there. I was like, oh, this is going to be good. And then it was just like there. Mm-hmm. So we start off um, with the opening match. A uh, team of burning Yusuke Okada and Yuya Kuroku teamed with Illusion. They defeated uh, Toi Kojima, Yuki Ishida, and Takashi uh, Takeshi Masada in 9 minutes and 11 seconds when uh, there was a modified stranglehold from Koroku on Ishida. This is a pretty darn good opener. A, a great uh, highlight of talent and Okada, uh, shall we say. And uh, Masada seems to be um, DDT's new super rookie, and he looked pretty good here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely seems like they have high hopes for Masada. So uh, I have a feeling that he's probably, if he develops well, he's going to move up the card real quick. Um, and But yeah, as I said, this was a good show of talent, but I just every single time I was like, this is such an absolute waste of Okada. <laughs> like that yeah. that's really the thing that bothered me about this match, where it's just like, he shouldn't be here. <laughs> Should literally be anywhere else on the yeah, card. Maybe he should be well, Takao. Maybe Mori's with one exception, partner. but yeah. Well, actually, yeah. You know what? If he just jumps back to all Japan as a Mori's secret partner and just wins the world title, uh, the world tag team titles, I'm like, yeah, okay, sure. That that's acceptable. <laughs> I'll take that. But uh, I have feeling that won't happen. <laughs> I am not going to spend much time on this match. But the next match was a three-way six-man tag match. Pheromones. Uh, Dino, Danshuko Dino, Yuki Ino, and um, now Koju Takeda. Uh, they defeated Toru Washi, Kazuki Harada, and Antonio Honda. And also the I'm team sorry, of... that is Koju Shining Ball Takeda. Oh, yes, Thank Koju Shining Ball Takeda defeated the team of Toru Washi, Kazuki Harada, and Antonio Honda, and the team of uh, Yuji Hino, Yuki Onaya, and Super Sasadango Machine in 12 minutes and 18 seconds with a referee stop. Uh, uh, Takeda got Harada in the sexy Bay Bridge. Uh, I, I will say that there was some fun action at the beginning, and Super Sasha Dago Machine came out dressed up as uh, uh, Hino, which was sort of funny. <laughs> but then it just degenerated into a pheromones match. And that's all I have to say. Yeah, yeah, it was a pheromones match. Like, I think we've talked about them plenty. I think neither of us is really like a big fan of their style. No, but they got yeah. heat. Mm. Yeah, no, definitely. I think. It was probably better than some other matches that they've had, but like overall. Oh yeah, the the three way six man format certainly helped at least like the first half yeah. of the match compared to your average pheromone match. Yeah, but this it also feels like a waste of Fuji Hino though. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, he's sort of spinning his wheels too. Yeah, um, and he's kind of missing from the Japanese indie scene. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. Like I guess obviously he's probably paid better in DDT, but I would also just kind of like see him be back and like i think he could help like promotions like big japan that need like all the help they can get at the moment yeah definitely uh in a special six-man tag match hiroshima yukio sakaguchi and hideki okatani defeated naomi yoshimura kota yumeda and uh the returning keisuke okuda in 12 minutes and 44 seconds with the somato from hiroshima uh against yoshimura which um also set up a tag title match uh, later on that they're going to do on another show. 
I thought this was pretty good. And I really like the sequences between Okuda and Sakaguchi who seem to want to kill each other. Yeah, no, this was really solid. Um, I don't really think this was all that much to write home about, to be quite honest. But it was good enough for what it was. And like pretty much everyone in here was like, doing their best but it also kind of felt like this was like a match they put together to like put all these six men on the card yeah because they didn't really have anything else for them to do no. um like especially like it's a weird way to redebut okuda as well in the promotion after he's been like gone for a while as you said like it really good sec- sequences of sakaguchi but he already feels lost in the shuffle and he's had one match back uh now uh, okuda's still saying he's he's going to be concentrating on rise and is that just yeah, smokescreen so. uh, to uh, have a more graceful exit from Dragon Gate, or do you think that's actually going to be the case? I mean, from what I've heard from his exit from Dragon Gate, is that Dragon Gate didn't want him to do Ryzen anymore mm. because he's just not a good shit. fighter. <laughs> yeah, because just yes, exactly. But what does Dragon Gate care the about? Fuck out. This is like what Antonio Noki's running Dragon Gate now. Like, what do they care if he's <laughs> eating shit? You know, he's only. Well, a- I mean, if your gimmick is that you're a tough guy shoot fighter and then you get knocked the fuck out all the goddamn time that kind of hurts your gimmick i guess but he was only at like brave gate level and yeah but i get it i mean it can still be a distraction in general i suppose because you're training and everything like that too yeah exactly like it's not like you're in there like regularly and everything so i mean if ddt is willing to like allow him to do that to like have him get like maybe you can eventually then transition him to like a comedy gimmick where he then also gets knocked out in ddt all the time because I don't like I Rocky think Okuda. in his mind he is gonna like win his fights coming up, but yeah. like I mean let's be honest he's not. Yeah, and uh, it's gonna be uh, Toru Washi I believe teaming with Harashima, which is weird, but to sure, take on Yoshimura not? and uh, Higuchi I guess Harashima needed a big boy to take on that team, which sort of makes sense even though he's not that great, but whatever. Yeah, and then in the uh, Shinichiro Kawamatsu debut match. Tokyo Metropolitan Assembly member versus Bunkayo <laughs> Ward Assembly member. Osama Nishimura, Makoto Oishi, and Akito defeated Shinichiro Takagi, Soma Takao, and Shin- Shinichiro Kawamatsu in 14 minutes and 47 seconds with Nishimura uh, with a figure four lock on Kawamatsu. Paul, <laughs> we've got our super rookie on our hands. With Kawamatsu? Yeah. <laughs> and he did it wearing a suit. Yeah. Yeah, that that that's even more impressive. Like you shouldn't be able to like move around that way. Well, I mean, unless you're low key. So okay, <laughs> here's the thing: who was a better wrestler in a suit, uh, low key or uh, Kawamatsu here? I still gotta go with low key, I think. <laughs> but he wasn't that. He wasn't as far behind as he would have thought he was. Oh like, no! He was, like really damn good. <laughs> She's really good. Yeah, like this over delivered. I think. No, this was definitely one of the matches on the show. I was like, okay, this actually over-delivered my expectations. This was actually a ton of fun. Like, I really hope that this wasn't, like, a one-off. And, like, obviously, he's not going to be, like, a regular wrestler or anything. But I do hope that they, like, bring him back, like, at least for, like, a couple more, like, big shows or something like that. And it can only be a positive thing for them to, like, get bookings on buildings. So, you know. It's yeah. the same reason why... It's the same reason why All Japan put two titles... On <laughs> <laughs> um, Definitely probably one of the better uh, celebrity matches that DDT has had in their history, too. Yeah. I mean, tec- oh, definitely. if you want to technically put this on the grand scheme of celebrity matches in all of wrestling, 
and start including your like Dennis Rodman's and uh, that sort of thing. Yeah, Which, no, he's definitely better than Rodman. It's, he's it's, definitely it's, better than like ninety percent of the people that have wrestled on like WrestleMania and in like celebrity matches. He's not quite. Is it Logan or Paul? Yes. What's up? Is it is is he better than Logan Paul or is it the other? I can't remember which Paul's brother is which in WWE. But is he better than whatever Paul brothers in WWE? Probably um, not. I don't know because I've never seen a. I just seen he. I just seen him do like high flying stuff because I've never actually seen the matches. So I don't know. So we'll give him. Hey, he's probably better than like Bad Bunny or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, is he better than Snooki? Yes. I'm trying to think of other celebrities. He's already better than uh, Mongo McMichael. Yeah, and, that's for and, sure. And, and, and Mongo is a full-time wrestler. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, he's way better than Mongo McMichael's already. Uh, he's better than Mr. T. Yep. Um, so, yeah, no, no. He, he he definitely, like... Do we know if he's done, like, any wrestling training before this? Like, I, I, like, I don't mean, like, just for this match, but I mean, like, ever in, like, the past or something like that. I don't know. Maybe he wanted to be a wrestler and then he got into politics instead or something. I yeah. don't know. I mean, he's obviously a huge fan. Yeah, exactly. Like, th- like that one's very obvious because, yeah. yeah, he just is... Like, he very clearly is someone that, like, watches a lot of wrestling because he just got it, basically. Like, it's just instinctively he knew kind of what to do. Mm-hmm. I would bring him back if I were uh, Takagi. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm bringing this guy back and being, like, I'm fucking whining and dining this guy and be like, Oh, you want to go over maybe in your next match? And, like, we can just, like, do some arrangements, right? Uh, can you just the fire you know? code so I can put 3,000 people in Corrigan <laughs> Hall? <laughs> yeah. No, 3,500 people yeah, in Corrigan Hall. Yeah, 3,500, yeah. Uh, I love, love old-timey Japanese numbers. This sounds like such nonsense. <laughs> yeah. So, next up, a special mixed tag match. Jun Akiyama and Saki Akai defeated Chris Brooks and Asuka in 15 minutes and 21 seconds with a uh, triangle choke from uh, Akai on Asuka. And this is Akai's first victory over Asuka, which was sort of part of the story of this match. But the real story of this match was Jun Akiyama and Asuka. And I thought they uh, actually worked quite well together. And I thought this was some of the best that Akiyama's looked in a while, too. Um I can't go, like, say this is, like, a great, great match, but this is still a ton of fun, I thought. And I thought the Akiyama and Asuka stuff delivered. Yeah. No, definitely. I mean, not really surprised. I mean, Asuka is one of the best wrestlers in the world right now. So she did really well here, and I was really happy to see her, like, face off with Jun Akiyama. It was really good. Uh, yeah, as you said, she's kind of had, like, a bit of a thing going with Saki Akai for a while now, and they've kind of paid that off here. So that was really fun. I thought Chris Brooks was just kind of there. Like, I think generally Chris Brooks is really good in DDT, but he just kind of felt like a complete afterthought in this match. Yeah. Um, well, uh, you know, people talking about, uh, like, when they talk about Osprey as, like, wrestler of the year or at least most outstanding, they sort of list off the variety of matches. I think you can have, like, a conversation about Asuka as being one of the most outstanding wrestlers of the year just based off of the variety of different types of opponents and matches that she's worked promotions as well yeah promotions like i know like she had an excellent match against chihiro hashimoto at the main event of the mm-hmm. korakin hall sendai girls show which involved them just dropping each other on the heads but it was awesome yeah. 
and she's been all over the place in tons of different promotions. So I think you could actually make a case for her as like at least one of the most outstanding wrestlers in the world. Like you said, she's one of the best. Yeah, I heard that she had like a really good run and like Eve as well in uh, in June. So yeah, like like it's also like yeah, exactly. Like it's not just like the matches that she has in Japan. Like she also has like really good matches like all around the world, basically. Like whenever she's like brought in anywhere, she delivers. Yeah. So yeah, I I just hope maybe that like I don't know. Kind of would like to see her like settle down a little bit more and like like as much as I love her like going around, I would like to see her have like a bit more of like a continued run and like run promotion and actually have like a big title run and everything like that yeah i think to some degree she's still somewhat missing that yeah right. and uh asuka has also seemed to have recently added herself as a joy janela fan uh but i will let that slide yeah i mean no one's perfect right? <laughs> yeah <laughs> um and then speaking of joy janela speaking of joy janela yeah next match oh uh um at some point after one of these matches, I think it was the, the six-man politician match, they announced Karen Noir is coming in. Do you have any thoughts on yeah. that? Because he seems to have, like, I have, I, I, I've never seen Karen Noir wrestle. I've heard people that I'm love him you. and people that hate him. So very mixed. So, Paul, what's your... He has a really good entrance. But there isn't really that much there between the bell, to be honest. And he is also someone that has a tendency to be very over dramatic as well, like in that kind of John, like late late stage Johnny Gargano versus Champa way, where it's like like you know people make fun of like Johnny Gargano staring at his hands and being like, why am I so violent? But that's literally what Karanoa does. Why like, am I so mysterious? Yeah, why am why like he like but I could also see like Karanoa having like a hardcore match and just staring at his hand being like, oh, why am I like literally saying, why am I so violent? Like um, as loud that also the rest of the crowd can hear him. Now, do you think he'll get over in DDT? He, his entrance is definitely going to get over. Like I think especially the first time because it is genuinely impressive the first time you see it. Bell to bell. I don't know. I mean, one of the reasons why Chris Brooks got over is because he's willing to do all of the wacky stuff. And I don't know. Because Karnoa, while he has kind of an outrageous gimmick and everything, has never really been a guy that has done much comedy. Mm-hmm. So I don't think, like, like if he's willing to do that in DDT and if he fits in well, then maybe that's going to help him. But, like, for example, if he doesn't, then the only other thing he can do is like be in like the proper wrestler division basically with like Yoenos and Toguchis and Harashimas. Yeah. And he can't hang. He can't hang with those guys. Yeah. Like unless he has just done like a massive improvement in like since like March, which was when I saw him in sixty car- sixteen carat. Like because he wasn't that great in that one. And like unless he's done like a massive improvement since then like he can't hang with the top level guys in ddt yeah so it really is up to him if he's willing to like adapt or like do a bit more comedy stuff i think that can help him and if he's not then he's gonna pop like people are gonna pop back for his entrance and then i have a feeling it might be diminishing returns from there 
Yeah, that makes sense. So because that's yeah. basically what happened to him everywhere else. Mm -hmm. Okay, and then so yeah, we go to extreme title. Joey Janela defeated Shunma Katsumata in 18 minutes and 56 seconds with the Death Valley Driver on a barbed wire board for his first defense of the title, which he uh, defeated. Uh, uh, Akito 4 in an Ippon uh, light death match the week before. I have not seen that match. I heard it was obviously not as good as uh, those past uh, Ippon uh, light death matches, though, which somehow yeah, doesn't surprise well. me. Um, I mean, I didn't hate this. I mean, had some stupid, ridiculous moves through barbed wire and all sorts of crazy spots, but at the end of the day, it's certainly not at the same level of many other sort of hardcore death matches that you can get in Japan or what even yeah. Shunma is capable of. Yeah, that's the thing that always really bothers me about these like DDT extreme title matches. They always feel kind of like half-ass compared to other death matches you get in uh, in Japan. So it just always feels like it's just missing that one extra step to get really violent. And I guess that makes sense because it's not really DDT style, but like, I don't know, it, it just always keeps holding these title match. that's always keeps holding these matches back. So, unless you have like, for example, like the stuff of like the the one light tube gimmick and there's like some interesting stuff that they've done with that in the past. Because yeah. that's also really like just their speciality, like that's what they do. So that makes it feel unique, whereas just these like more like regular matches like this just always feel like they're missing something and this was no exception really this wasn't even the best match that i've seen like joey have on this like ddt run like they because they actually had him have a brawling match uh with um with uh why am i blanking on the name with the puppet yoshihiko with yoshihiko yeah with yoshihiko where basically uh him and yoshihiko uh went to a sauna and had a match around uh, the sauna grounds basically that was actually that was on the that was also on their youtube and okay, like in terms of that. like kind of having like a fun ddt comedy match that one actually was kind of good but this was just yeah i don't know like this was just like it was it was maybe like a little bit better than like i don't know your standard wv style hardcore match but it was definitely a step below what you would see in terms of like death matches otherwhere elsewhere in japan or maybe even like what you would see on like a GCW show or so. AEW. Yeah, exactly. Better, yeah. yeah. So yeah, it was just missing something, and it was just like, eh. Oh, it was certainly better than a lot of GCW stuff, though. Uh, well, not all GCW stuff, but I mean, Shunma is better than a good number of deathmatch GCW wrestlers, except for like maybe like Alice Cologne or something. Oh no, definitely, definitely. But, I mean, it's not like Janela has really been working, like, a lot of death matches in GCW no. either. Like, he's been more of, like, a straightforward wrestler in GCW. Yeah. And then we had the universal title. Uh, Yuki Ueno defeated Masahiro Takanashi uh, in 14 minutes and 26 seconds with the WR. Uh, that was the failed second defense for um, Takanashi. And Ueno is now a two-time champion of the with the universal title. Uh this was uh, sort of disappointing, I thought. Yeah, I went into this having really high expectations. And when I really say, like, there was stuff on the show that under-delivered, this is the prime suspect. It was just 
nothing really here. Like this is one of DDT's biggest show of the entire year. And it just didn't feel like that at all. Like it just felt like a random midweek Kurrican match basically. And the WR got botched. Yeah, that too. Like that really didn't help either. No. And no, I've I've definitely seen either man have better matches. I've seen either man have better matches with each other as well. Which made it even more frustrating. It's like they get put in like a pretty big spot in one of the biggest shows of the year and I feel it feels harsh to say they laid an egg, but given the expectations they did, like given what the actual floor should be between these two because I don't feel it was a bad match, but like given what the actual floor for like an Ueno match with someone of like Takanashi's level is, I think this got really close to their floor. Because it was just yep. nothing really. Like there was no excitement. Like didn't really feel like either man was super motivated either. Like it was just sloppy in like the worst way possible. Yep. Um, so, but hopefully, I mean, Ueno can got the title back and hopefully i mean i think he can do something with it I mean, he's, yeah. he's incredible so no he is he is so but, I'm, I'm i mean as i said yeah. on the preview like it just feels like he's kind of moving in circles yep and then for the ddt 25th anniversary special six-man tag match kanosuke takeshita mao and yasu Yurano defeated dick togo daisuke sasaki and cannon uh in 20 minutes and 41 seconds with a jumping knee from takeshita on cannon um I thought this was pretty good, but it wasn't as good as I expected. It was sort of almost disappointing, I wrote in my notes. Yeah, no, this was another one that was, like, really disappointing. Where I think that really hurt my, like, enjoyment of the show of all, that, like, especially what in theory should have been kind of the main part of the card, which really should have been the, yeah. the stuff that gets you really exciting. Like, so far, like, there wasn't really anything there, like, this one as well, like, just didn't feel special to, like, I mean, it was the 25th anniversary, like, special for, like, DDT, and you had the big return of Takeshita after his massive... Wearing uh, AEW colors? Yeah, exactly. And it just... And you had, like, the return of Dick Togo as well, who had been, like, a relatively big part of the promotion. Yep. And it just didn't feel special at all. I mean, ironic given that it says special in the title, but like yep. it just didn't feel special. Like it just felt like a normal run of the mill six man tag match. Like everyone got in and out, but just, yeah, I don't know. Just not not special, I think is the best way to sum it up. Yeah, just, I don't know. How just a match. Yeah, just a match. Uh, though something that I thought delivered, uh, KOD Openweight Championship Kazusada Higuchi defeated Tetsuya Endo in 25 minutes and 24 seconds with a brain claw slam to make his first successful defense. It was the right booking call. I liked this match a lot. You know, it was like Endo's um, speed and uh, agility versus Higuchi's raw power. Um, there were some great spots like the brain claw slam on the apron and everything like that. Uh, I think this mostly got positive reviews, although there was a vocal anti-endo contingent that uh, don't like him. Um, I don't know. I don't quite get it, but I, you know, sometimes I could sort of see it, but I mostly like endo. And so I did believe this match really did deliver, and it was a strong uh, first defense for Higuchi and set him up very strongly at the end of this show, whatever you want to say about the rest of it. And obviously set up for a Takeshita match on September 25th at Cork and Hall. 
Yeah, so right now this match actually stands at an 8.97 on cage match. I think that, that feels like a little high. Like, I didn't think it was that good. I thought that I would go a little below. I went like four and a yeah. quarter. Yeah, yeah, like I, w I would go like, yeah, like a little bit lower. I don't think this is going to make like my match of the year list at the end of the year. But <coughs> it was like a really good first defense for Higuchi. I think it was also an important defense for Higuchi. Because we talked about it before where like there's a bit of a danger where if he loses here or if he doesn't look good in this match that could be doing some long-term damage to him and neither of those happened like he looked strong coming out of this match and Endo just sold his ass off um, yeah like now that the match happened I'm also happy that they didn't put the title back on Endo I think that's a much stronger story that he actually needs to like work his way back up to the title but like yeah he came back from the knockout and everything and he challenged for the title immediately but he lost so now he needs to like rebuild and I think that's a much more interesting story for Endo to go through and I really hope that like they're gonna continue the Higuchi reign as well because we'll see if that happens because the Keshda challenge next and that's another match I could see go either way but if he actually beats both Kendo and Takeshita like then Higuchi is a main man right yeah well I think Higuchi's winning because Takeshita is like I'm going to go back to AEW in October and I want to go back as champion. He's not <laughs> going to go back as champion. No, like they, they can't do that. Like they, like they lose their biggest draw and then they also lose their top championship. Like that's yeah. just going to send their like numbers in a tailspin in terms of drawing. Yeah, no, it's so, not going to happen. But it'll be a big yeah. thing for Higuchi to win, I think. But oh, at and... that point, the pressure is on for Higuchi, right? Oh, for like sure. He just beat the top two stars in the promotion and then he I... needs to deliver. I would assume, who else can incredibly challenge him after that her Hiroshima Hiroshima would be the next but yeah. again that might be almost one that you want to say for like a bit of a bigger show as well Akiyama oh no they're tagging Akiyama Akiyama he beat him in the tournament though um, Ueno in theory is someone well, he's the, he's the but he has the yeah he has the other title Daisuke Sasaki I don't know in theory I mean he is a big enough star I mean it's not going to be yeah. a great match Actually, you know what actually would be an, uh, an interesting match? Eruption explodes. You do ah, Sakaguchi yes. versus Higuchi. That would be a good idea. Yeah. So, I mean, there's definitely people that can challenge him. Like, you definitely have, like, a good number of challengers lined up for him until he, like, I don't know, loses it back to end or uh, eventually. I could see that happening eventually, yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess any But again, I think that also somewhat depends on, like, what he's drawing on top as champion. Yeah, that would like if he, if he actually draws good numbers, then I think they're gonna like go a bit longer. So that's why I feel like they might do the Hiroshima title challenge eventually, and then depending on what Higuchi has been drawing, either they put it back on Hiroshima because they're panicking about attendances, or they keep it on Higuchi because he's actually been drawing well. Yeah. And then oh, uh, it was announced that uh, Kid Lycos is coming into team with Chris Brooks. Yeah. Uh, any thoughts on Lycos? He's another Euro wrestler I don't really know much about. Yeah, he's fine. But he's really good when he teams with uh, Brooks. I mean, this is very clear who brought him in here because they are literally best friends. <laughs> like, and I don't mean that in like the way of the like AEW like, faction. Like, they are literally like real-life best friends. Yeah. So, uh, but if he's... His problem is that he's kind of made out of glass. So he's had to like significantly tone down his style to what he did like so he doesn't really do all that much in the ring anymore 
So, I mean, if we kind of get the kid like us that we got like early in his career with like the original CCK run with Chris Brooks, that could be a ton of fun, but I just don't know if his body is capable of doing that anymore. But I think in terms of style, he can definitely fit in pretty well in DDT. Like, because again, he's best friends with Chris Brooks. Like, they have a very similar mindset. So I think he can adapt very well to the DDT mindset. Okay, well, that makes sense then, yeah. Uh, so we'll look for that because he's basically just teaming with Brooks. So mm-hmm. they could probably do something and maybe get a tag title shot. Yeah. I guess any other final thoughts before we go, Paul? Um, I'm, like I said, I'm kind of down on the, a little bit down on the Oh, I, I, I guess I should say, but, yeah. I thought the cheering really did help that D, uh, Peter Pan because if there was no cheering in Peter Pan, would have been even oh. worse. Oh no! This show, this show, I would have, I would have been really down on the show if they had yeah. no cheering here. But I also feel like it didn't help it as much as I thought it would. <laughs> no, but that's again, the feeling. But like, I feel like I would yeah. notice if it was gone though. Yeah, and I, I mean, to me, also the thing is like, well, yeah, just cheering is bad. Doesn't mean that people are just gonna cheer for anything. No, like they also to need to be like the cheering shows. Something. You got to work harder now these days. Yeah, exactly. Like you actually need to like put put a good effort in to actually get people to cheer like they're not just going to cheer because they can cheer yeah. and i think that was very noticeable in the in the main event like the crowd was way more energized for that one yeah for sure oh actually maybe uh, one more thing as well is the commentary like let's just briefly talk about the commentary oh, yeah it was not great was it no it was not really badly missing bali and Aki. <laughs> yeah or chris brooks yeah I guess Chris was uh, too like high up on the card, so it just would have been awkward for him to do it. Yeah, I don't even know who that third person that they brought in was. Yeah, me neither. So, Cage Match has it as so they have two English names on here. So I don't know if those were the people. Like they have three Japanese names and two English names. So like obviously Christelle Chiari was the woman on commentary on the yeah. English commentary. Brian Burton Lewis. Yeah, that was the, that was the new one. Yeah. But and then the, they had that journalist too. The, yeah. The, but he's Japanese. Yeah. Yeah, I think that was Hiroshi Arai, right? Mm, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, but they weren't very good. Like, I mean, yeah. it was definitely noticeable that like they didn't really have good chemistry, and I think they were kind of unsure who was playing which role, which didn't help either. Yeah. So. Well, I don't know if you saw, but they're bringing, they're having Chris Brooks and Drew Parker do commentary for TJPW, and I wonder if they should just start bringing in Drew Parker to do commentary if he's any good. <laughs> I mean, maybe, yeah, that that would be one option. I mean, there's another. I mean, it's such a shame that he just retired, because this feels like such a perfect spot for like someone like Lenny Leonard. Yeah. So, yeah. But unfortunately, he's retired now. But yeah, I mean, if this is what you're giving us and then you have like someone like Lenny out there, or I don't know, you could... I mean, it's a big show, so you could have maybe also borrowed... Like, ah, but then again, the Noah people had to do like a Noah show on the same day. Yeah. But I don't know. They have, they have to be better. I don't know if the these. Noah team will fit in do, calling DDT so well. Although, Probably uh, you not. Know, <laughs> although Fulton has had to put over yeah. some real whoppers in Noah at times, I must say. I mean, let's just put it that way. The Noah team would have put that Eruption and Arashima match versus uh, Okuda Omeda and Yoshimura. They would have put that match over huge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everything else, I mean, it definitely would have put the main event over really well. Yeah. 
the pharaoh like to be fair it, it, it i would be kind of curious just to see Stuart fulton call a pheromones match <laughs> <laughs> i do want to see her hear that at least once because <laughs> if he can actually make that work he's an actual miracle worker <laughs> yeah but also just that it's just literally and like as well with um with Mark Pickering, that just seems like the exact opposite of what Mark Pickering wants for wrestling. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I feel like he would be miserable if he had to watch that. <laughs> All right. And so, yeah, final thoughts. I guess you were going to say you were down on Budokan. Yeah, I was I'm down on Budokan, but like I said, I'm going to enjoy the show. I am pretty high up, though. Like I said, I have some anxieties about what they're going to do for the N1, but I think overall I'm really excited about the last two shows and then the finals. Yeah. I if they do, the, if they do the right thing, I think it can deliver really well. And then, because we know Ariarchy has, has cheering, like whatever title match they're going to put on there is going to be huge. Yeah, for sure. All right. Uh, well, this time we are actually going to take a full, I think, two week break because that will put bring us back after the N one finals on the third, and yeah, we'll see what else has happened uh, in. And the then we world. can preview the Budokan. We can preview the Budokan. Uh, hopefully, we will find out who Takao Mori's partner is <laughs> by then, and we can talk about that. And if there's any, because like there's at least two more matches coming at Budokan, so yeah, it's going to be a twelve match show at least. Oh yeah, it's going to be long, and then there's also going to yeah. be all kinds of pomp and circumstances. And like I said, I do expect yeah. like Kawada and Kobashi. And well, Kobashi shows there. up for the like the Champions Night shows, so he'll be there for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I would expect I would expect the remaining pillars and Tenru, honestly. Yeah, which is why Akiyama needs to be there. <laughs> yeah, and I guess the biggest question mark would be Mudo. Yeah, I mean, I would I would put him I I would have him there at the very least. Like, I don't think he's gonna have a match, but no. Yeah, he can uh, you know get in front of everyone else for the best camera shots. Exactly, which is what he's gonna do. Like, he's just gonna do his pose and. Did you ever see those? pictures from andy Wu's wedding i love them it's it's like he literally showed up like i'm just convinced. to pose for photos i'm do, like, very much gesture. convinced he brought his own he showed there up there with his photographer did the photo and then immediately left <laughs> yep well, and you could just Mudo. see the rest of the restaurant crew just stare at him and be like this motherfucker well it's funny because jake lee was also there and he just had this incredibly blank expression on his face yeah but can we really say that that's like, because that's also just Jake Lee normally. <laughs> yes, it is. Okay. All right. For Paul Vosch, I'm Gerard Trollio, and we'll see you in two weeks. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. 